on the Great Commission, here's what he does. He goes, I'm going to bookend this. Here's the command in between, but on the bookends, here's the deal. I got all authority. So like, there's no one, there's nothing that can ever triumph over my authority, Jesus says. So he goes, look, I'm going to send you out on this mission. And as you go on this mission, you're going not in your strength and your power. You're going in my power. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you, and Lord, as I... Just think about your goodness and your glory and your praise. Father, we just simply ask, oh God, open our eyes to your word, to your truth. Holy Spirit, would you illuminate like only you can? Show us your glory today. Shine your light of favor upon us, our lives, our families, our church. Give us courage, give us boldness. When it's so easy to go the way of the world, give us courage, Lord, to stand tall for the gospel. And so, Father, as we open this word today from your word, the word, Oh, Father, I pray that you would show us very clearly what your word means. Show us the beauty of the gospel today, that we might treasure it, that as we just read, that that we would bind it, that we would take it and it would be bound around our neck in such a way, oh God, that, that it would be the air we breathe that it would be a frontlet to our eyes. Everywhere we go, everywhere we walk, every step we take, that it would be our our guide, our rudder. And oh Lord, we pray that as we just savor and taste and see how good You are, may You show us Your praise, show us Your grace, show us Your mercy, show us Your glory. And to you, God, and to you alone, be all the praise and be all of the glory. For we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, as we conclude our chapter 3 study of 1 Peter today, and we are in a a section of Scripture in verses 19 through 22 that is, is somewhat complicated. And I want to intentionally ask you to be dialed in over these next moments for the duration of really focusing in and even asking the Lord right now as you seek Him to say, God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to see from these verses today because there are some points of view on these verses that even great theologians disagree on. 
But I pray that we'll come out of these verses saying, you know what, we're going to focus on the main things, which are the main things, and that's Jesus Christ came to seek and save those that are lost, amen? And that through His blood, through His righteousness, that we can have life eternally free, and yes, even here on this earth, abundant and free in Him. So here is this great text, and as I begin to read it, I want to just remind us that truth is so important, amen? Do you agree with that statement today, that truth is mission critical? Uh, There in our culture today, there are so many people that they might make a statement like this, that, well, your truth is your truth. You ever heard something like that before? Your truth is your truth. (laughs) I'm not even sure what that really even means, (laughs) because there's only one truth, and Jesus said, I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And all God's people said, amen, right? Well, here are a couple thoughts here that stirred me this past week, and Adrian Rogers said it like this, it's better to be divided by truth than to be united in error, end quote. Spurgeon said it like this, to pursue union at the expense of truth is treason to the Lord Jesus, end quote. So I want us to think today and every time we gather here that it's the banner of truth, the banner of the gospel that drives everything we do. And so here is these wonderful verses from 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read actually our verse from last week first, verse 18 and then read 19 and 22, because I want to make sure we have context here. So here it is. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might, here it is, church, that He might bring us to God. How? Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now roll with that context, with that context, roll right into verse 19. Here it is, 19, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Hmm, interesting. Verse 20, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, don't miss this, A few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal. What? An appeal to what? To God for what? A good conscience. Now, here's the linchpin. Don't miss this. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who, 22, has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him. And may God add His blessing and divine illumination to the reading of His Word. Amen. Wow. Anyone else scratching their heads? Interesting verses. Here's the bottom line. There are verses in Scripture that are a little perplexing. 
But as we break it down, and here's the key, as we take other Scriptures to underpin and give commentary, prayerfully we'll begin to have clarity. The title of this message here, as you see there in your notes, is, is simply this, a question, is God's patience running out? Have you ever thought about that before? Like when you're driving around Chester, Virginia, and you're driving the speed limit, wink, wink, right? And you're driving around. Do you ever think about these things? I mean, we're in a culture that truthfully, we would agree, I believe, on this, that is off the rails. We're in a post-Christian culture that says we don't need Jesus. I just saw more data this past week that, that now church attendance, I'm being told from those that are in the guru land of taking all this data, they say now that a regular attender is once a month. So 12 times a year, got enough of Jesus. Is it any wonder why we're in the mess we're in? And as I think through that, i got to ask myself, is God's patience running out? Ever been like in a store, and you're on one aisle, you know, and, and you're going down one of those aisles with, you're the only one in the whole store that got the cart with the, the squeaky wheel? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm convinced they make those from the factory like that. Because every time I go into the store, I get a squeaky wheel. And so you're just squeaking down the aisle, right? And you hear on the other aisle, this is what you hear. I've had it with you. And as a young mom or a young dad who Billy or Susie isn't behaving like Jesus, you know what I'm talking about? And that mom or dad is just, they're done, right? Their patience, parents, right? We've all been there. Their patience is like, it was gone yesterday. I wonder if God is nearing that point. <laughs> See, it's interesting when you think through that thought and then you go back to our verses today and you look at 18 and you see how the blood of Christ saves. You've got to remember from the last time we were together that Christ literally brings you to God. I mean, it's such a game changer in your life. When you really, I'm not talking about just intellectually, I'm just not talking about, you know what, you know, good, great. I'm talking about when it begins to sear like deep down into your soul, like it goes down deep in your soul that you begin to understand that, wait a minute, Jesus died for me? Well, wait, wait a minute, wait, Jesus died for me and he actually brings me to God? It will just change everything in your life. Now, you got to remember, here's the key on this. Don't, don't miss this. When Peter's writing, he's writing to a group of believers, most likely mostly Jews, perhaps some Gentiles. And it's most likely in this big Roman Empire, a small group. And they're a small group. Why? Because they're like, we're all in for Jesus. And he's encouraging them. He's reminding them. He's saying, look, you've been brought by the blood. The most precious blood that's ever been shed. You've been brought. I mean, the king of glory. God incarnate brings you to God. But then when you read these verses, you go, something tells me as I read these that Peter's not sure that his audience is really getting this. And so he begins 
in these verses, especially 19 through 21. I believe 22 will explain the questions in 19 through 21. I believe Peter's intent here by the power of the Holy Spirit is this. They're suffering, they're hurting, and man, when you're suffering, when I'm suffering, when you're hurting, I'm hurting, man, it's real easy to be discouraged, isn't it? It's real easy to go, man, I'm just not sure about this. And here Peter is, he's trying to reinforce to them with some imagery. And he says these words, look in your verses there of 19 through 21, in which he, who's he? Not a trick question. If you don't know the answer, just say Jesus, and you're probably going to be right 90% of the time, amen? In which Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, there are primarily three views on this from theologians all over the board. I'm going to give you where I land, but please hear me on this. This verse is not salvific. We can disagree on this and still be brothers and sisters in the Lord, amen? Because my salvation, your salvation doesn't hinge on this. It's kind of like studying the book of Revelation. There are a lot of things in there that we're not quite clear on, and there's different thoughts by great men and women of the Lord, but we still love each other, amen? In which he, Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Let me go ahead and read verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is only eight people, were brought safely through the water. Here's the deal. When you look at verse 19, look in your Bible for a moment. It says this, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. I believe, after deep study on this, that the reference point here is to fallen angels. I believe as Peter is unpacking this, you've got to remember that demons are what, church? They are fallen angels. I believe that from the point of crucifixion to resurrection is the time period that Peter is dealing with here. That's where I land on this. And as he is speaking truth into them, see, he's reminding them, he's saying, look, I know you're suffering, but he wants to show them the lengths that Christ went to bring them home, to bring them to safety. You know, it's interesting when you, you study this, this phraseology here and you look at this. Let me read one more thought here. Very interesting. Because the former did not obey when God's patience waited. Now just take that thought for a minute. That's verse 20. Stay with me here. Let me read it again. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited. You know, some people think that obedience is not a very big deal. I believe we're going to see in Scripture here in just a moment that obedience is a huge deal. Matter of fact, you're going to see very clearly in just a moment from Scripture that obedience is just a natural outflow of true union to Christ. Now, just like our children, going back to our children analogy, for you parents in the room, your children, my children, me as a child especially, we don't always obey, amen? 
But in the midst of that, we don't use as a license to continue in disobedience. Prayerfully, by the power of the Holy Spirit in union to Christ, we desire to be more conformed to the image of Christ. And that really is the main goal for the believer that lives today is, how can I be more like Jesus? I want to be more like Christ. Here's the thought. When they did not obey, disobedience brings God's curse. Obedience brings God's blessing. When you study the Old Testament, remember those folks called the kids of Israel? Remember them? Well, there's a great group of people, weren't they? Well, they obeyed. They just did what God wanted them to do. They never complained, did they? They're like, what Bible are you reading, preacher? No, we know this, that God's wrath burns hot when we disobey. That's why your key number one is this. I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one, obedience to God brings His blessing, period. Disobedience to God brings His judgment, period. Obedience to God, key number one, brings His blessing, Disobedience to God brings his judgment. Now, pause there for a moment because I want to go back up to our launch text here for just a moment here and read this thought. So here's a strong reiteration. Here's what he says in verse 21. Now, again, remember, Peter is using figurative language. He's trying to make a point here. Look, you've given your life to Christ. I know you're hurting. I know you're disappointed. I know you're suffering. I know you're scattered. I know you're thinking, what do we do next? Because we don't know what to do next. We want to quit. We want to throw in the towel. And Peter's saying, don't do that. He says, let me give you an illustration. He says this in verse 21. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this. Now, this is important. Baptism, which corresponds to this. What is this? Well, Back up in your Bible for a minute. Let's read this preceding verse, verse 20. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Now make a note of that, Noah. While the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is only eight persons, eight people, were brought safely through water. Now here it is. Don't miss this. The ark, not the ark of the covenant, but the ark... Noah built an ark, right? Gopher wood. We sing a song about that in you know, children's church, etc. He's building this ark for many, many years. And can you imagine what the homeowners association was saying? He's got a big boat of gopher wood in the front lawn. They're like, get that thing out of there, chief. Well, what happens? Well, here's the deal. He's proclaiming this faith. Here it is, looking towards the cross. Old Testament, looking towards the cross. He's, he's looking towards the cross, and he's saying, look, because of all of your wickedness, you need to repent. He's heralded, and he's proclaiming. He said that Christ proclaimed to, the, to those demons, and he's heralding his message, and, and they're bound, those demons. They're, they're in this abyss, if you will. And, and here now, Noah, he's given an illustration going back. Peter is saying, look, the ark is a type of Christ. The ark is the place of safety. The ark here, as water is coming, the water is showing the judgment of God. And the safety is not in the water. 
The safety's in the ark. And the question for me and you today is, are we really in the ark? Are you really in the ark? Are you really in Jesus? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Some people misconstrue this verse when it says this baptism. Now, see, baptism is, it's baptisma here in this original phraseology. When you see the word to baptize, it means this to immerse, to dip under, to go in. So I want you to think about this thought of going in. So here Peter is saying, look, I want to give you a figurative, real key here, it's figurative only. It's a figurative illustration. He's saying, look, this baptism into Jesus saves you, rescues. Uh, we're going to have a baptismal service in uh, just a couple weeks. And when we baptize, we know there's nothing magical in the water. The water doesn't save. It's by faith through the blood of Jesus that saves the human soul. Amen? And so Peter is not saying here that you must be in the water to be saved. How many people do you know and that I know that have actually carried out the external ritual, which by the way is a great thing, it's an important thing, it's in the Bible, we need to do it, it's a step of obedience. But how many people do you and I know that have actually stepped into waters, carried that out, and they're nowhere near Jesus today? <laughs> I mean, nowhere near him. If it had the saving power, they would be with Jesus. His point is this. It's not the removal of dirt in that next phraseology there. He's showing, look, it's not this external thing. It's baptism into Christ. It's being in, in the ark, if you will. The type of Christ. He's saying, look, Noah, man, this was crazy back in Noah's day. Think about this for a moment that the earth was so bad, the world was so bad that God goes, I can only find eight people that I'm going to save. I mean, just pause on that for a moment. We talk a lot about the narrow way and the wide way, don't we? That's a pretty narrow way, isn't it? Eight people. God is showing His judgment upon human mankind that when they rebel and they rebel and they rebel, and that's exactly what you see there. There's a, it says this, verse 20, because they formerly did not obey, it literally is this, they willfully rebelled. And going back to a child, when children don't get what they want, they often begin to rebel and they push and the neck gets stiff and the forehead gets brazen. And what we understand clearly is that so often that thought process, that attitude of the heart and the mind that's diseased and toxic and poison often doesn't leave children. It goes into adulthood. And Peter's saying, look, I know you're this small group 
in this massive Roman Empire, and I know what you want to do is bail. Peter's saying, don't lose heart. Just keep pressing on. It's coming. He's basically saying the revival's coming. Just hang in there. Just hang in there. I know it's hard. I know the way is very narrow, but just stay true to the truth. And God will reveal himself in a mighty way. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but out of an appeal to God. It's literally a, a promise, a covenant for a good conscience. Now, here's the key, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it right there. If Jesus, help me on this class, if Jesus dies and goes into a grave, but never comes out of that grave, what happens to your salvation? Doesn't look very promising, does it? Because I don't know this, there's a lot of people that have professed to be a quote-unquote Messiah, but they're dead. I don't know about you, my Jesus is not dead, but He's fully alive. I mean, He conquered the grave. That's the whole point of this. The whole point of this is these words right here, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. As you get in His boat, as you get in His ark, that is those waters of judgment in Noah's day are raining down on the earth They got saved not because they were in the water. They got saved because they were in the ark that represented Jesus. And so many people today, good church-going people, they're hanging out in the water, and they're nowhere near the ark. God's blessing, hear me clearly on this, from God's Word, God's blessing falls on those who pursue obedience. God's judgment will fall on those who pursue disobedience. And there's no way around this. You say, well, what's the big deal with obedience? Write these verses down. Let me give you a few. John chapter 14, verse 15. John 14, 15. I love those verses. I can count so I can remember that address. John 14, 15. Here's what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments period. If you love me, if there's real love there, if, you, if you've really given your life to me and it's real and it's true and it's not phony, it's not baloney, it's not a charade, it's not a show, but it's real. If you really love me, if you've really given your life to me, the natural outflow is, man, you, you're going to want to please me. You're going to obey me. How about Luke chapter 6? Write that one down, Luke 6.46. Luke 6.46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Kind of reminds me of that parent analogy, doesn't it? Our children, right? Over and over, we say, hey, go do this. Go clean your room. Go clean your room. And they respond, hey, I'll think about it. Go clean your room. I'll do it next week. And what does that do with your relationship with them? Well, it certainly makes some intense, intimate conversations, amen? What happens? If we're not careful, there can be a fractured union there through that disobedience. Romans says it like this, 13 verse 5. Romans 13 5, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also, here it is, for the sake of conscience. 
Peter used that. He said, appeal, make that pledge for a good conscience that as you give your life to Christ, you're in the ark, if you will. You're in Christ. When the flood waters come, and they will come, there will be flood waters in your life, not necessarily of judgment, but just hard, difficult times. But there will be judging waters, if you will, that are coming. And you want to make sure, church, you want to make sure you're really in the ark, in Jesus. Don't fool around with this. Don't trifle with this. Don't putter around with this. This is like eternal. This is, this is so serious that every human being will spend eternity either with God or apart from Him, and it's going to be forever. There aren't any do-overs. I mean, that's why we exist as a church, don't we? We're not here to be a country club. We're here to say, you know what? We know the gospel, we're not perfect, we struggle, I sin, you sin, but we come together to get nourished by the Word, to be fed by the Word, so as we go out each Monday through Saturday, we go declare with a lifestyle that, you know what, my life's been changed, your life's been changed. Hey, you know what, we're not perfect, but see what Christ did in my life, see how He can change your life, see the peace and the joy and contentment you're searching for. I found it, and it's only through a guy named Jesus. That's the power of the blood of Christ. Think about this verse, James 1.22, write that down, James 1.22, obedience, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, disobedience, this is the deception of the deception. The person that gets deceived the most in disobedience is the person disobeying. You know, we disobey, we see the lure, we, we see the, you know, the bait, if you will, in the water of life, and we partake of it. And here, James, we studied this many, many, many months ago, but James says, look, be doers, be obeyers. Don't be sayers, be obeyers. It's one thing to talk about Jesus. It's one thing to talk about the Word. It's one thing to talk about God and His glory. It's one thing to talk about holiness. It's one thing to talk about obedience. It's a whole different deal to actually go live it. And that's the importance of obedience. Lastly, how about 1 John 2? Write this down, 1 John 2, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. It says this, powerful, powerful. Here it is, 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know, we know what? That we have come to know Him. So just picture this, church. Brothers and sisters, I want you to see this. By this we have come to know Him. There's intimacy here. We've come to know Him. If we keep His commandments, if we obey, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, does not obey, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps, obeys His Word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this obedience, by this fruit, we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides, meno, if you will, that anchoring, that riveting, that tethered to in him ought to walk in the same way in which he also walked. Wow. Do you think obedience is a big deal? It's a huge deal. But look at verse 22, our final verse, which I believe gives underpinning 
to some of these thoughts of potential confusion. Let me read verse 19 again for just a moment. Look in your Bible, verse 19. So here it is. In which He, Jesus, He's alive in the Spirit, went and proclaimed, He preached, He heralded. Think about this. He's heralding a victorious, triumphant message to the spirits in prison between that resurrection and that death on the cross. Now look at verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. Now make a note of this. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You think about Sheol on the opposite side. You think about hell on the opposite side. That's not the final destination for the enemy and his minions and those who love him. It's the lake of fire. You see that very clearly at the end of Revelation. So here, when he says in heaven, he's not referring to the new heaven and new earth. That's still to come. Revelation tells us that. But what we see very clearly here, I love this. He's gone into heaven as at the right hand of God. What do you guys know about the right hand? Does that tell you anything? When you see that someone's at the right hand, what does that show? Well, it shows this. It shows prominence. It shows authority. It shows power. It shows honor. It shows majesty. It shows his supremeness, if you will. So when Peter, again, here we are. So Peter's in this, remember context. Hey, you're this small group in this big Roman empire. You're standing tall for the gospel People don't like you. They're not cheering your name. He's saying, don't lose heart. I want to give you an illustration, though. Here's how far Jesus went for you. Man, He went a really long way to bring you to the Father. Oh, by the way, let me give you another illustration here. As there's this baptism of the ark that goes into the water, it's the ark that's a type of Christ that represents Jesus. And when you're in Christ, when you've given your life to Him, and it's true and it's real, you are forever sealed for the day of redemption. And that's a hallelujah moment for the true believer, isn't it? I mean, we hang our hat on that. You know, people say, you believe in once saved, always saved. I say, if you're really saved, you're really saved. It's not a license to go sin. Some people go, well, hey, man, we're saved, so let's go partay. It's like you have no clue what it means to be rescued if that's your thought process. Because you understand the old party life is the old man, the old woman, and they're dead and they're crucified. You don't even recognize them. You don't want any more of that nonsense. All you want is God's glory and His praise and to live for Him. That's understanding what true salvation is. And he says these words in this verse 22. I love this. He's at the right hand of God. That's Jesus with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Now, this is so cool. Go back up to 19. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So if we're reading this correctly, and again, there's great debate on this, that there's argument from scholars all over the board. But remember, this is not salvific. So we can disagree on this thought process here and still go, you know what? Uh, we're still, we're still going to sled together, so to speak, right? We're still rowing. But if this is what I think it is, and he's talking there to fallen angels, 
demons. And now you go to verse 22, which I believe underpins this argument. 22 says this, he's at the right hand of God, Jesus is, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. What does that tell you? Well, Jesus has all authority. That's why the key number two is so important. Here it is, key number two, write this down. For those who have given their lives to King Jesus, they can and should have total confidence in him as he has personally declared the following. Number one, all authority has been given to him. And number two, he is with me even to the end of the age. Let me say that again. Key number two, write it down. For those who have given their lives to King Jesus, they can and should have total confidence in him as he has personally declared the following. All authority has been given to him and he is with me even to the end of the age. Write down Matthew. Here's a great example. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We call it the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It really is the Great Commission. Here's what it says, Jesus speaking. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority. How much authority, church? All. I mean, this should give you great confidence. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now he says this, go therefore. In the original, you could argue this, as you are going, it's an assumption, you've been radically transformed. You're just going to start going now. Make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, here it is, I am with you always. How often, church? Always to the end of the age. I don't know about you, but when you're going through a hard time, when you're alone in the hard time, the hard time can get harder. Isn't it such a comfort to know when you're going through a struggle in life that someone's with you? Like, what does that do? What does that do, truthfully? What's that rhetorical question? But what does that do when, when you're going through a hard time and someone texts you, they call you, they email you, they drop by, and they say, hey, you know what? The Lord just put you on my heart, and, and I know you're going through a hard time, but I want you to know this. You're not alone. I want you to know this. You're not alone. What does that do? Boy, it just picks you up, doesn't it? Church, let me read this again. Jesus says this, All authority in heaven has been given to me, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, think about this. On the Great Commission, here's what he does. He goes, I'm going to bookend this. Here's the command in between, but on the bookends, here's the deal. I got all authority. So like, there's no one, there's nothing that can ever triumph over my authority, Jesus says. So he goes, look, I'm going to send you out on this mission. And as you go on this mission, you're going not in your strength and your power, you're going in my power. And I got all authority. And oh, by the way, as you're in the middle of the 
Great Commission, and there you are doing your thing, and you're making disciples, and it's, boy, it's difficult, and it's stressful, and some days are two steps forward and two steps back, and you're like, what in the world's going on here? you got to remember this, that all authority on the front end, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age, two of the most glorious bookends ever. For the true believer who follows in that obedience. You say, well, I'm still not tracking with you, okay? How about Matthew chapter 8? Write this down, Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 24 through 27. Write this down. Matthew 8, 24 through 27. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. Way to go, Jesus. He's on his my perfect pillow, sleeping in the boat. It says this in 25, and they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord. Save us, Lord. <laughs> we are perishing. I can just see Jesus right now going, there's no we about this. <laughs> you may be perishing. I'm not perishing. We're perishing. You see the fear? They're so frightened. He said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, ye of little faith. Then he arose and he rebuked the winds. Can you imagine that? That's authority there, isn't it? I mean, there's a storm and Jesus goes, be still. And there was great calm. And the men responded by saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Church, we got to begin to understand this. We operate, as was once said, not for the victory. We operate from the victory. There is power in the name of Jesus because all authority has been given to Him. So as we close, I want us to ask a question. Truthfully, do you think God's patience is running out? Like, what do you really think? Romans chapter 2, verses 4 through 11. Listen to this. Just listen. Listen closely to the Word of God. And here's what the Word says. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard an impenitent, refusing to repent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to His works. To those who by what? Patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. But... For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. But... But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, 
the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. We're living in a crazy world, aren't we? And here's my encouragement to me and to you. If there was ever, church, listen to this last thought, if there was ever a time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and shine the light of the gospel in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the pushback and the chaos and the slander and the lies and all that goes on, if there was ever a time, I believe it's now. In the darkest hour, this must be the church's finest hour. And I believe this because Jesus has all authority and He's with you and I to the end of the age. There's nothing stopping us, amen? Since our God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is He that's within us than he that's in the world. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? We just begin to have hope. We have confidence. Why? Because Jesus Christ has overcome the grave. The tomb is forever empty. Do you understand this? It is forever empty. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, for you today that say, I'm giving my life to Christ, I've given my life to Christ, you are forever sealed for the day of redemption, not to go live for self, but to live for Jesus all the days of your life. And if you want the true, content, joyful life, it's all about giving your life away, because what will it promise? Offered a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul. I know this though, that when you win by losing, you live by dying. The way up is down. It's all about Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. And when a person gets gripped by the power of the Holy Spirit and he comes into their life and he forever changes their life and they're no longer the same, I believe this with my heart, soul, mind, and strength that Jesus who has begun a good work will complete it till that day of salvation, amen, when we're in His presence of glorification. Our God's good, amen. Father, we just give You praise today. We love You. We worship You. We stand in awe of You. And so, Father, as we come before You and You alone, Lord, I pray that You would work in our hearts that you'd move, you would stir. Lord, I pray that as Noah and only eight people, only eight, were spared because of their righteousness as they looked towards the cross. Lord, I pray. I pray today that we're in the ark of Jesus, in him. Seeking Him, loving Him, worshiping Him all the days of our lives. So Father, as we pause and just right now ask You, Lord, will You speak a word? Maybe you're here today and you've never truly given your life to Jesus and that's the reality. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I just, I don't know that I'm really in the ark called Jesus to protect me from the flood. Oh, Father, I pray, would you stir in that life today? Just stir, move, and motivate like only you can. We know it's a work of you, so Holy Spirit, move all over this place. May we surrender all, not some, but die empty today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.
and all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.